Hello, my dear friends. I hope that you're well this week. I hope you've been well. I hope August has passed you by as gracefully as possible. We move forward as always, don't we? Along with the rest of the world. Moving forward, I have found some joy in having company this week. I live abroad, among these trees blanketed by shadow and camouflaged among the green, alive things. I no longer feel the need to hide within the trees and the earth, but rather out where the air is clean and fresh and the moonlight can touch my skin at night. Though there was at first safety and comfort in burrowing and hiding, that reminds me of a part of myself that I no longer want to embrace. I'm tired of being afraid. For... I think I have very little to fear at the end of the day. When we last spoke, I told you I had finally met the creature of ember and flame, injured and weak by the water. He had made sure to meet me by water so that he could submerge himself and extinguish his own flame and power so that I wouldn't be hurt. In short, he risked his own life, if life is what you can call what spirits like he and I have, so that I could tell him a story, face to face. It was a lovely gift. And ever since, we have not lost each other. We don't necessarily live with each other, you see, for neither of us lives within four walls, do we? But we both live in these woods, and we find each other every night. He is recovered, so it is a joy to see his bright, if not dangerous, flame. No matter where I am, and perhaps no matter what time of day, I only need look around to see that somewhere, whether near or far, that fire is burning, and it is watching me. Whether or not I can see his eyes, I can see that he is near, and he is burning once again. Sometimes he comes closer so that I can speak with him, tell him stories again just like last week. Sometimes I leave him little gifts, things that I think a spirit of fire would love. Anything metal or shining that humans leave behind, gemstones and rocks that are beautiful. Anything that I think can withstand fire. And sometimes he leaves me little gifts. He tries to, anyway. He knows that I love growing, living things. He tried to leave me flowers and seeds and fruits, but they would be left dangling on tree branches, singed and dead. And he gave this up soon, realizing he should not touch such things. But he soon learned that he could make imprints in the surface of the trees without hurting them and also he could use the ash from these trees to draw on large rocks. So he started to leave me little signs, little decorations, swirling, spiraling designs, elaborate and lovely, decorating my woods. And if any humans were to come across it, they would know without a doubt that there are ancient, powerful creatures here, 
and they must beware. Or at least be respectful. Well, we have seen no humans here for some time. It is just the two of us, alone, with this world of light and dark and fire and water and earth and stone. I think we are very happy. It is just us two. We know when to keep a distance from one another, and when to grow closer, and I couldn't ask for more. I've only just sat down to draw a card. A card from the tarot deck to determine which story I'll tell you this week. I have been so busy wondering at what exactly this relationship between me and my stranger in the woods is, that I almost forgot. I shuffled my deck, thoroughly and consciously, wondering at this, and I pulled out the Ten of Cups. Ah, I've been waiting for a card like this. Contentment, harmony, love, happiness, home. The card for bliss, for relationships, for family, for comfort. Blessings. It is a sign to stop and be grateful. Be satisfied. Be happy. You have found something very rare. There is no need to change anything at present. You are in the right place and time. Enjoy connecting with someone you love. Commit yourself to happiness. Indulge yourself in the feeling of belonging. I smiled, and when I looked up, my dear friend made of fire and spirit and loneliness, at least at first, came closer, then closer, again closer, close enough that I could see his face. It is hard to stare at because it is so very bright, so vivid in its flame, its healthy, happy flame but I could see black eyes with yellow points in them, beaming, and a broad smile in return. Am I allowed to have this? Is he? I think so. Whatever we were in the past, we deserve this. Don't we? Anyway, now I must tell you and him a story for the Ten of Cups. Make yourself comfortable, all of you. Once there was a man who lived alone in a little house on a cliffside. He had lived on his own for many years, and though he was very kind and very good, he was lonesome. He lived in his family's home and had a small inheritance, which he supplemented with work he could easily find in town most often repairing homes and furniture for folk in town, doing odds and ends here and there. He was well-liked when he did go into town to buy supplies and food, but his little home was so far and it was so quiet on the cliffs, except, of course, for the pounding, consistent roar of the waves crashing in the bluffs 
It was a frightful but beautiful sight to behold. He often stood at the edge of the cliff and looked out at the perpetually gray sky. He sang one simple song, a folk song that he could no longer remember the words to, because it reminded him of when he was a child, and when he had a mother, and a father, and brothers, and sisters, who lived with him in a full house. A time when he was not so alone. He sang the song out while he longed for a life no longer spent alone, a life perhaps something close to what he had when he was a child. He dreamed and dreamed with waking eyes of a great love he hadn't met yet. He longed for such a love. He dreamed of her, and though he had no idea what she would look like, he imagined that she was so very kind and very gentle. He imagined that she was as strange and lonesome as him, and that she might delight in brief trips into town, and in nights spent watching the waves and the moon and the stars. He dreamed of the mystery children he and this mystery woman might have. He dreamed that all of them would play outside under the gray sky in the green grass, while he gleefully prepared dinner for more than one. Finally, he had this same waking dream, this same conscious wish, night after night. Staring out from over the cliffs, looking into the white shapes that the sea foam made as it splashed up and met the rocks, he would sigh and wish for what he knew might never be. One night, after his dinner for one, after the sun had set, he wrapped a blanket over his shoulders and looked out the window to see if the weather was pleasant enough for him to go out to the cliffs and make his longing wish yet again. But when he looked out, there was someone standing there this time someone wearing what appeared to be a long, gray cloak, shining and iridescent. When he exited his small home to ask them what exactly they were doing here, he heard a voice echoing out somehow over the din of the crashing waves. It was a lovely voice but what was so striking was the melody she was singing. It was the song he always sang, night after night. He walked to the figure, and when she turned around, he saw that she had the greenest eyes he'd ever seen in his life, more green than the green of the grass of his home, more green than the green of the sea. She stopped singing his song, and she smiled. She pulled the hood away from her face. She extended her hands and held his hands. 
without knowing each other's names, without speaking a word, they embraced. Her lips tasted like the salt sea. And from that day on, she was his wife. She had come with nothing except her cloak, which she lovingly folded and locked away. She insisted it be hidden. She said it was priceless and it must never be lost or discovered. He thought it was strange. But then again, he had longed for someone strange, hadn't he? And though she didn't have any other clothes with her, her new and devoted husband had closets and closets full of old clothes his mother had worn. He was skilled with a needle and thread, and he was thrilled to alter them to fit her perfectly. They were blissfully happy. Soon they were blessed with a son, and then another son. And for a little while, life was just as it had been in his dreams. Though he was afraid to ask where she came from, where her family was, who she was, he did. And she would simply indicate that she came from far away, across the sea. And she left it at that. And he didn't press her, for, naive though it was, he hoped a child's hope that she had magically come to him after hearing his plaintive song longing and welcoming. Their children grew strong and joyful. Their love grew strong and joyful. They were very happy. And this is where our story takes a turn, of course. One night the man awoke to find that his wife was not in their bed. He crept downstairs, not wanting to wake his children and he peered out the window. Where, by the cliffside, he saw very little, but he did see a shape, a gray figure just where she had been that first time. He opened the door to approach the stranger. When the door shut behind him, the figure started and turned around quickly and wild, alert, yellow eyes shone back at him. Eyes that reflected what little light shone against them. Eyes not unlike mine. And before he could scream, whatever the thing was opened its maw and revealed a mouthful of shining fangs. It let out a terrible, piercing shriek, and then it dove off the cliff, into the waves. He ran to the edge, but it had instantly disappeared into the water. All night he searched for his wife, terrified that whatever that beast was had attacked her. He found nothing, though. No traces of her. All night, with only a lantern, he searched and he searched, until finally the sun rose and he knew he had to see his children. When he walked through his front door, there she was. She had already served breakfast. Are you well, my love? You look exhausted, she said, seeing how pale he was, how dark the circles under his eyes were. He embraced her, relieved beyond measure. He embraced his children, 
She insisted that she had trouble sleeping and had simply gone for a walk. He enjoyed a meal with his family. He enjoyed singing songs, playing games, and existing in love, and wanting nothing more than what he had. He warned them of whatever creature had been out that night, and to stay inside. He went to bed that evening more tired than he'd been in a long, long time. He fell into a deep sleep. But then, in the middle of the night, once more he awoke, and he found that he was alone in his bed once more. He went downstairs, and he went outside. And this time, the creature with the reflective eyes was there once more. But there was another with it. Its eyes were just as wide and wild, but perhaps a little smaller. As he lifted his lantern to see them better, they both shrieked this time and scattered. He searched once more, but found no trace of either creature for both had dived off the cliff and into the sea once more. And so he set in motion a plan. He had some old fishing nets at his disposal. Through some clever maneuvering, as safely as possible he spent the night draping the net across two trees that stretched just over the cliffside. It wasn't able to be seen from the overlook point but perhaps he would be able to hunt these creatures, and they would no longer pose a threat to him or his family. He stumbled into his home the next morning, and once more found his family around the table. You don't seem well, my love, his wife said. You must eat something. She had set out a lovely platter of fish and bread and fruit, and their boys hungrily tucked in. Faint and a little dizzy, he embraced his family. Even as his wife mumbled a similar excuse about going for a walk, and even as he thought she seemed a little quiet this morning, his mind wouldn't let himself possibly suspect anything about her. And what could there possibly be to suspect, anyway? That night, his head fell into his pillow even harder than the night before. But, of course, he awoke once more to an empty bed and a full moon beaming in through the window. But more accurately, he awoke to the sound of strange barking and inhuman screams coming from outside. He ran to his son's room, and their beds were both empty as well. He collected the lantern from his own bedroom, and realized he ought to protect himself and his family. His father had hidden a rifle in the home, locked away in a bedroom closet just in case. He despised it, but he knew it would be prudent tonight. He threw open the closet and took the rifle. And he noticed that the chest in which his wife had laid her cloak all those years ago was open and empty. He took his lantern and his rifle and he went outside. 
This time there were no creatures at the cliffside. But the shrieking and howling was even louder. He went to the edge and looked down, preparing his rifle and aiming it forward. And he saw in his trap something extraordinary. There was a gray seal. Large. Larger than he'd ever seen before. Its skin glistening in the light. Its jaws snapped and its teeth clacked at the net. With it were two little pups, also viciously gnawing at the ropes. When their eyes caught the warm light of the lantern, they stopped and looked up at the speechless husband and father who had only been trying to protect his family. But looking at these creatures, and the way they grew quiet and docile at the sight of him, he began to tremble. For there was something in the iridescent gray of the mother seal's skin that was terribly familiar. He thought of the open casket in his bedroom, and his heart sank. And there was something in the pup's eyes, a kind of fear that he had only seen when he comforted his boys during a thunderstorm. His family. He thought that they ought to be monstrous to him. He ought to be horrified. But he wasn't. They seemed strange and lonesome. Looking at them like this, looking at the way his boys glanced at the sea, looking at how afraid they were to be caught. They had been returning to the sea, which was where they belonged. He raised his rifle, aiming it at the place where the net met a tree, and he fired. So gracefully, the three creatures dived into the sea again, just as they had done the past two nights. And he watched them swim away, circling each other, loving the salt sea. And he found himself alone once more. A year passed. A year passed where not a day went by for him without tears. But, one year to the day, he awoke to find his family gathered around the table, his boys one year older, his wife very much the same as before. They all wore their own cloaks, each a slightly different shade of grey, and removed their hoods to look at him. Grinning, the youngest child held aloft a fourth sealskin. No ordinary sealskin. Iridescent, smooth, shining, and beautiful. He held it towards his father in offering. I do not know if he accepted the offering but I do know that the man disappeared that day and left the house on the cliffs deserted. They were a happy family, 
blissful, content, loving. I hope they continued to be in the sea. I imagine they did. I know that because I lived there for a short time. Do you remember? I don't remember very well, but I do remember. Perhaps one day we shall have a little home such as that. My burning stranger. My new companion. A home that I can live in and thrive. With plants everywhere and water too. And one made of stone. So that you needn't be afraid of your own fire. My friends, I hope you rest well tonight. I hope you are happy and content in your own way, too. If you are not, at this moment, then I will wish it for you, just as the hero in our story wished and wished and wished. Sweet dreams, my friends. Good night. Hello everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in this week to episode 109 of On a Dark Cold Night. This is Kristen Zaza, your host, writer, podcaster, composer, and creative team behind the show. Welcome to September. I hope you're doing well and taking care of yourselves and enjoying the summer. I'm very grateful to give a few shout-outs to some new patrons this week. Thank you so much to Alexa Osborne, Spazzy C, and ArgPen3 for your monthly pledges in support of the show on Patreon. I'm so glad that you're enjoying the show and want to help me as I create it. If you'd like to support in the same way as Alexa Osborne, Spazzy C, and ArgPen3, head on over to patreon.com slash darkcoldnight, where every patron of any amount can get access to the soundtrack of the show. If you'd like to donate once and aren't interested in that perk, you can also make a one-time contribution via coffee at my page, which is at ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight. And we've also got t-shirts and hoodies available through Bonfire at bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night. I'd also like to thank Mel Wing, who left us a five-star review on iTunes. If you're enjoying the show and want to help out a different way, you can leave me a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or our Facebook page, or anywhere else you'd like to. You can also follow me on social media. Find me on Twitter at A Dark Cold Night, Instagram at Dark Cold Night Podcast, or on my Facebook or YouTube pages just called On A Dark Cold Night. I hope you enjoyed this story. Thank you so much for listening this week. Fun fact, uh, when I made this the day before release, it is, um, well, now it is my birthday. So thank you all for being here with me and listening to my work. It is a really wonderful gift. Get lots of rest, take care of yourselves, and stay safe, my friends. Good night.
This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar.